Welcome to Telling Future Generations, the radio ministry of Child Evangelism Fellowship of Illinois. Now here's your host, Dr. Katrina Forseth, a missionary serving as state director of CEF of Illinois. Hi, and thanks for listening to Telling Future Generations. Last week in our program, we were looking at the master theme of the Bible, the doctrine of the Lamb. Years ago, I read a book by Sidlow Baxter, an Australian pastor, theologian, and missionary evangelist who believed that this doctrine of the Lamb of God is the master theme of the whole Bible that runs like a thick cable throughout all of Scripture from beginning to end. Sidlow Baxter, in his book, looked at 10 major passages in Scripture that not only point to the Lamb, but also portray and proclaim the Lamb through progressive doctrinal revelation that has developed with increased clarity from Genesis to Revelation. Baxter begins first with Genesis 4, the necessity of the Lamb, taken from the account of the story of Cain and Abel. Sidlow believed that this passage clearly taught that Abel bringing a lamb as his sacrificial offering in Genesis 4 was no accident or even coincidental, why his offering for sin was accepted and Cain's rejected. Abel, unlike Cain, was following God's one way, God's prescribed direction that was first shown to their parents, Adam and Eve, before God thrust them out of the garden in Genesis 3. God, through clothing Adam and Eve with animal skins, which was the first death, the first bloodshed, and the first sacrifice and atonement for sin, was declaring that the only way sin could be covered, atoned for, between sinful man and holy God was through faith in the promised one to come, the seed of the woman, and specifically through faith in what the promised one would one day do that was pictured here in Genesis 3 with the offering for sin through the blood of the Lamb. God had clearly taught Adam and Eve that their attempted fig leaf coverings, the work of their own hands, do not work and can never atone and cover sin, shame, and guilt before God. In the same way, Cain's offer works of the fruit of the ground by his own hands do not work either. As Isaiah 64, 6 tells us that our best works, even our supposed righteousness before God, are as filthy rags compared to the perfect righteousness of God. Only through faith in the blood of a righteous other, who is not only our sin bearer for our deserved penalty for our sin, but also our righteous covering through his perfect righteous live for us and given for us on our behalf, can atone for, cover our sin before holy God. As theologian R.C. Sproul stated so well concerning the story of salvation from cover to cover in all scripture, he said that salvation is a divine cover-up. Only God can cover our sins. The second major passage that Sidlow Baxter cited was also in Genesis, which was the well-known passage of Abraham and Isaac upon Mount Moriah in Genesis 22 that pointed to God's provision of the Lamb. Pastor and evangelist F.B. Meyer actually stated when he was looking at this passage that so long as men live in the world, he said, they will turn to the story with unwaning interest. There's only one scene, he said, in history by which it is surpassed, that where the great father gave his Isaac to a death from which there was no deliverance. The gospel picture images in Genesis 22 that's found here ring out loud and clear. Abraham, as a father who loved his son, his only son, He was the beloved son of the father. Isaac, as a willing, obedient son who walked in step with his father all the way up the hill, carrying that wood laying upon his back and willingly laid down his life all in obedience to his father's will. But not only do we see, as Baxter would say, the prophetic picture images of the father and the son, but also God's provided lamb, the substitute lamb, the ram caught in the thicket provided by God's sovereign hand. The Bible tells us that Abraham was a prophet. Did Abraham fully understand what he said when he was asked by his son, Father, 
Here's a fire and the wood, but where's the lamb for a burnt offering? How Abraham responded in Genesis 22 verse 8 was not only amazingly profound and filled with faith, but also deeply prophetic. Abraham said, my son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. And that is exactly what God the Father did 2,000 years later on one of those same hills of Mount Moriah that we call Mount Calvary. God himself not only provided the lamb, but God himself as the eternal son gave of himself as a lamb of God in our stead. Baxter then moves from Genesis to Exodus and lands on the third major doctrinal passage of the lamb of God revealed with the Passover lamb found in Exodus 12, the slaying of the lamb. There was only one way for the Israelites to be spared from God's wrath and their deserved judgment for sin to be passed over, and that was through faith in the lamb's blood slain and applied to the doorposts of their homes for each of their household. This points us to the true definition of salvation, of what we are actually being saved from. Salvation is not just being saved from sin or saved from the punishment of sin, but as R.C. Sproul, one of my favorite theologians, he stated so well, he said, salvation is to be saved from God and by God. Only the blood of the Lamb slain for our sin makes propitiation for our sin, appeasement before the wrath of God, before a just and holy God. Only the blood of the Lamb applied to the doorposts of our hearts by faith will find us safe, resting in Him through the shed blood of the Lamb. As a progressive revelation of the doctrine of Lamb unfolds, Baxter then points us to the specific law found in Leviticus that unveils for us the character of the Lamb. The book of Leviticus, both in its whole and its all of its parts, both individually and all together, points us to the Lamb and depicts how our atonement for sin works and what it means and how it is applied. But the message of Leviticus teaches us that not just any lamb or sacrifice could be offered for our sin. The character of the lamb must be without blemish, without any flaws. The lamb of God offered simply put, as found in Leviticus chapter 16 and also in Leviticus chapter 22 verse 21, says it very clearly. It must be perfect to be accepted before holy God. The character of the Lamb is absolutely crucial to our sin's atonement and points us deeper and fuller to the very heart of the gospel, which is the righteousness of Jesus Christ. As 2 Corinthians 5.21 states, For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Baxter then does a skip, jump, and a hop and takes us to the fifth major Lamb of God passage that is found in the infamous chapter of Isaiah 53, which points us to the shocking revelation that the Lamb of God is a person. This righteous suffering servant who is cut down and slain for our sin in Isaiah 53 is bruised, crushed for our iniquities, for our transgressions, and has come to his crucible as an offering for sin as a lamb led to the slaughter who opened not his mouth. This is the high point of the doctrine of the lamb as found in the whole Old Testament that clearly predicts, portrays, and proclaims that the Christ, the promised one of Genesis 3, will indeed come as a lamb of God. So now we understand in the New Testament why John the Baptist, who saw Jesus coming unto him on that day, it's first recorded the words that he said concerning Jesus that come from the lips, the mouth of John the Baptist himself, who says, Behold, look, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. This is, as Baxter would say, Jesus, the Lamb of God, typified. And where did John the Baptist get this doctrinal image of Jesus as a Lamb of God? From Isaiah 53. And what is Isaiah 53, the lamb revealed as a person grounded on? 
way back, not just in Leviticus and Exodus, but all the way back before Mount Moriah, back to Genesis and Genesis chapter three and four, where it was first demonstrated and proclaimed the doctrine of the Lamb from the beginning. The rest of the New Testament continues to color and fill in the remaining doctrine of the Lamb of God that develops the storyline. After Jesus' death and resurrection in Acts chapter 8, we see Philip, and what's he doing? He's running alongside and then jumping into a chariot, calling out to the Ethiopian, saying, do you understand what you're reading? The Ethiopian, the queen's treasurer, responded, and he says, how can I unless someone guides me? Then beginning right there, the Bible says, and that open scroll turned to Isaiah 53, which the Ethiopian just happened to be reading from, the Bible says that Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. This is Philip, a New Testament believer, taught by the apostles who were in turn taught by the Lord Jesus Christ himself, who most likely, after his resurrection of 40 days, went back through all the scriptures with his disciples, the law, the prophets, and the writings, the whole 39 books of the Old Testament, the Hebrew canon, to teach them all things concerning himself that testify to him concerning his person and work. And that's why Philip, a New Testament believer, could clearly point to Isaiah 53 and boldly say, that's Jesus, our Messiah, the Christ, the promised one, who is our Lord and Savior, the very Lamb of God. As someone has said long ago, this book, the Bible that we hold in our hands, is really a hymn book. It's all about him, H-I-M. The Old Testament says he's coming. The Gospels together say he has come. The book of Acts proclaim him. The epistles, the letters in the New Testament explain him. And the book of Revelation, the revelation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ says he's coming again. All the Bible from cover to cover is pointing to and proclaiming Christ in all scripture from beginning to end, including through the unfolding of the master theme of the Bible, the doctrine of the Lamb. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 through 21 is the eighth major doctrinal passage that both reviews and then adds to the unfolding doctrine to include the resurrection of the Lamb. Peter reminds the believers of their purchased salvation, stating, You were redeemed, not with corruptible things, with silver or gold, from the vain manner of life handed down from your fathers, but with precious blood as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, even the blood of Christ, who barely was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was revealed, manifest at the end of the times for your sake, and through him believe in God, who raised him up from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope might be in God. This is our sure hope, Peter says, that Jesus, the Lamb of God, the Lamb slain for our sin through the giving of his precious blood for our redemption, for our salvation, was raised up from the dead and is the glory of God the Father. All our hope for the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life eternal is found in only him, in Jesus the Lamb. The last two major passages that Sidlow Baxter lists are both found in Revelation, with Revelation chapter 5, the worship and the enthronement of the Lamb, and then Revelation chapter 21 and 22, the last two chapters of the Bible that depict as a forever finale the everlasting kingship of the Lamb. In Revelation, we are taken before the very throne of God himself and of the Lamb. All the host of heaven breaks out in an eternal chorus as the redeemed people of God join together with the heavenly song singing from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation and proclaim in unison, worthy, worthy is a Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. 
This is a lamb worshiped. This is a lamb of God enthroned. This is the everlasting kingdom that is and will be forever the throne of God and of the lamb. In Sidlow Baxter's book, The Master Theme of the Bible, The Doctrine of the Lamb, he goes back through these 10 major doctrines one more time, once again, to take a second look how they progress not only doctrinally in revealing the Lamb, but also in the unfolding universal effect of the Lamb. In Genesis 4, the necessity of the Lamb is a Lamb for sin. In Genesis 22, the provision of the Lamb is a Lamb for for one. In Exodus 12, the slaying of the lamb is a lamb for one family. In Leviticus, the character of the lamb is a lamb for one nation. In Isaiah 53, the lamb is a person, is a lamb given for his seed, the elect. In John 129, Jesus, a lamb typified, is a lamb for the world. In Acts 8, Jesus, the promised one, is a lamb identified, is a lamb for whosoever. In 1 Peter 1, the resurrection of the slain lamb is a lamb for all history, who is foreordained before the foundation of the world. In Revelation 5, the worship and the enthronement of the lamb is a lamb for the whole universe. And in Revelation 21 and 22, as the book comes to end and closes, it is really, in reality, just the beginning of the everlasting kingship of the lamb is a lamb of God for all eternity. Truly, both now and forevermore, worthy Worthy, worthy is the Lamb. Thank you for joining us today for Telling Future Generations, the radio ministry of Child Evangelism Fellowship of Illinois. To learn how you can partner with Child Evangelism Fellowship to reach children in your community, please call 309-688-9699 or visit cefofillinois.com. Please join us again next week at the same time for Telling Future Generations.